Good evening, good evening, good evening. Let's get right into another KG Fifth Water Wildcat and Doc podcast. Fellas, how are you? Doing all right. It's a good year. It's a good day. We're all happy. Doc, how are you? 2015 continues to be well. What do you want to talk about first? The NCAA? We can go all over the board. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a lot of topics in all since last we talked. I think we started up with the collegiate level, the NCAA. Benefits, the uh, power of five decisions of, uh, what do you want to call it? The autonomy. Autonomy and on their the own cost of attendance. Cost of attendance was the big thing that they were looking at, but they voted on scholarship issues as well. Uh, not for coaches not having the ability to take away a scholarship. And oddly enough, you had two students that actually spoke against the measure. Surprisingly, uh, yeah. Pretty surprising. Uh, but uh, they were celebrating the fact that a new era had taken place with students having a voice uh, in terms of college athletics. And when I say students, I understand the college athletes having a voice. And there were about three students for each of the Power Five. Um, and they got the vote on the issue after uh, providing it. They said that they were all very informed and passionate about their position. So they just the people on the committee like to suggest that it actually made a difference in terms of how they may have voted on issues. I thought it was intrigued that the, the measures passed uh, almost unanimously. We only had one vote against, which was found out with Boston College. So I thought that was an intriguing framework for that to take place. Well, Doc, let me ask you this then. Were they just accepting what was, was being Put on the uh, put at the table. Uh, the reason only one person, uh, only one school decided to vote against it. Yeah, I think uh, everybody was. I mean, that's just how they do. At the end of the quorum, and they have the dialogue, they actually call it to a vote, just almost like you would do a parliamentary type of procedure. And then, so you call a roll call, and every individual gets to vote. And at that point, that's when Boston College, as an institution, voted against the measures that were on the table in terms of. Uh, some issues, and I think they were just trying to make a statement. Some people thought it was intriguing that Boston College decided to be the one to make this statement, but uh, it was going to pass. Pretty much everybody knew that, so that was a foregone conclusion. I think it's more of a dog and pony show, more than anything. I think it is. I mean, I will not come out here and act like this isn't new. I do agree with that. I think it is great that the College athletes have a voice. I think there's a very good deal, but um, they're still going to stack the bet to pretty much do what they want to do. And at the end of the day, the major issue I'm still going to always push uh, is the fact that I think um, there's an issue in regards to the Power Five, particularly for the sport of football and men's basketball. Obviously, there are some other sports where um, athletes generate some revenue. That's in the South. You look at baseball. In the North, oftentimes you can look at hockey. Some hockey programs do pretty well in terms of generating revenue. And then you also have some select women's basketball programs. And for those programs that generate money, I will suggest unequivocally, without faint of heart, to say that these college athletes should be enumerated. They should have the ability to generate some revenue um, directly in terms of what they bring to the table. Now, I thought what was interesting, uh, like these brilliant organizations are, they found a way to articulate and get out to the mass media that the world is falling apart because they're starting to make these measures. And you also had simultaneously this talk about 
the Olympic sports disappearing. You had Bowlesby doing his thing as a consultant, throwing out wild ideas from the sports business. And I, I found that ironic, uh, him being from a conference. Uh, well, I think that's why he did it, you know, to, to try to keep himself relevant. So he essentially wanted to separate the Olympic sports uh, from participation sports. Uh, if you were one of the terms he called and, and, and framing those. And then you had other folks that wanted to even go further down the drain hole and saying that you'll see that these Olympic sports will start to disappear. And that's why you needed to create another model. Um, but the funds are there. Uh, the economic funds are there. The, the point on the table is the fact that those that are having the lion's share of money do not want to share any of the money that they currently have. So you can further dispatch the money that is already there, but it's obvious that the coaches, the athletic directors, the commissioners, and the presidents that are getting a lion's share of this money uh, do not want to divvy it up in that way, so they'd rather keep everything the way it is and dissipate some of Olympic sports uh, as casualties and then point the finger at everybody else and say, see, we told you. <laughs> and it's just sad, you know, where they've gone to uh, and used their position, their former position, such as Bowles, to equate that, you know, whatever we say, that we decide to do, um, the student, even as you said, the student athlete or the athletes involved, different institutions, it's still about the mighty and the folks below that. It's going to be the you know, it's up to you to, to make a decision on what you're going to keep and what you're going to... Uh, yeah, they're very crafty at this. The more that I have researched, and my research interests were about HBCUs, but going down the rabbit hole, if you would, to kind of really find the understanding of the backbone, the start of HBCUs as it looks in terms of sports, it gives you opportunity to actually look at the entire landscape of sports. And you really start to see that at the very beginning, the Power Five, obviously it was less at that time, but these prominent, or what they would like to think of themselves as large and prominent universities at the very beginning separated themselves from everybody else. Um, that's how they existed. Uh, they never were basically a part of the NIA. That's what allowed the NIA to flourish. They moved in, uh, let in uh, women institutions, uh, finally uh, HBCU institutions, private institutions of that ilk. And it wasn't until that people saw the NAA, NAIA, I should say, uh, outpacing the NCAA is when you started seeing some reform from the NCAA open up their doors. But they were smart enough from this standpoint, which is almost a tragic word to use because it was so manipulative. Even when they did that, one of the first things they did in terms of policy is to create two different divisions, essentially. There was the university division and college division, True. as you all now will recall it once it comes up. Yeah. And then, uh, as people started to maneuver around that, they decided to even further uh, diversify. And that's when you start getting the 1AA and 1A, which is now FBS and FCS, Division Two and Division Three, And it all but um, really shrank the NAIA in terms of the power and things of that nature. Uh, but you see at every level over a period of time, as other institutions grow, try to maneuver and understand the landscape, they, uh, when I say they, I'm talking about the Power Five brokers, 
essentially uh, what many people would refer to as the largest institutions. Most of them happen to be your state institutions. There are some powerful private institutions that are embedded within that framework uh, that has moved forward, and they would always find a way to restructure the rules. You hear me use the term deprivation, and that's from a financial way. Not only have they done it into structuralizing themselves, the nomenclature, if you would, uh, but they also have done it from a financial standpoint in terms of making sure that they get the lion's share of the money. And uniquely, to kind of close this out before we move to some other topics, is the fact that they've done it in such a way that they've gotten this large share of money, and oftentimes people from the federal level, definitely from the state legislative level, after we kind of went through that financial crisis, you started seeing what we were talking about now in Louisiana, with Jindal and the issues they're having with financial education. And you see that throughout the South, particularly uh, in some other, other areas across the U.S. in terms of significant cuts and many people are taking aim at education. And one of the ways it's easier to take aim at education is because of the financial money now is significant on the athletic side is that athletics can pretty much pay for itself. And so now they're in a self-sufficient model, and in fact, some of the athletic money is actually going back to the institution from an educational, academic standpoint, which is nothing uh, to laugh at. I mean, that's a significant thing. But now you start to see funding issues where they're telling everybody else they need to be self-sufficient when they know that's not the case because they've manipulated the system in such a way that it can't happen. And I just think that is masterful in an ugly way that they were able to do this and historically once you see it it's amazing how far it goes back you kind of take positions that it's something new but it's really not and that you know the, the worst part about all of this is everybody's going to suffer in the end uh even on the on the, the so-called money schools just because at some point Somebody's not going to be happy. Somebody's going to challenge the, the board or the administration. And so I don't think women's track and field should be dropped. I don't think women's soccer should be dropped. You're going to drop it anything, you know, to take it. Uh, what's one of the other Well, I can tell you what they're going to say about that. Uh, you can look at what Texas is putting out there uh, from an athletic directorship. Uh, and some of the schools on in the AC, in not the ACC, I'm sorry, but the fact. 12 have went in this direction as well. And essentially what they're saying is if you want the Olympic sport, uh, we want you to fund it. So they're looking at uh, benefactors uh, that do have affinity for a certain spot, sport. And they think there are some people that um, support football or whatever, but they have a love for baseball for whatever reason, whether they played it, and financially in a position to do it. For some reason, uh, they just fell in love with the sport or even something like golf. Well, from a business perspective, they're asking them now to let's start endowments to make sure um, that you support those sports. And I think you're going to see that Texas model essentially go across the landscape. So if you want these Olympic sports, they're going to suggest that people need to basically put the money where their mouth is. We'll see how it all plays out that you touched on with Governor Dendo and his cuts education again and we got news because one of the universities impacted would be LSU, but we also know, more importantly, it'll be the lesser-known schools, you know, such as Grambling and, and Southern and 
in the other universities like that. So, yeah, they got to find money to uh, LaTeX. Oh yeah, find ways, find a way to make to pay for to pay for this cost of attendance. We're not at the uh, Power Five. So yeah. the Group of Five says they're going to do it. But what about the schools that aren't in those two, those ten conferences? Well, how are they going to pay for it? What are they going to do? Are some of them going to decide to move out of the Division One or, or you know, right. that's that's the next thing. Can, think, uh, cancel sports, happen. things like the, that. The conference uh, landscapes are going to change again just because of you know the uh, financially travel. You know what's going to better work for you, it, and it's, gonna, it's not going to be about the teams are going to forget about the rivalry situation. They're going to look at okay, this is what our budget. Is, this is what's coming in. This is what we're looking at down the road. So this is what we got to do in order to want to hold on to something. Yeah, I think and they've started doing a lot of it now. Where you start to see more geographic, even non-conference scheduling, where you're staying within a reasonable conformity. Which, if you think about it, was how most conferences were found in the first place. True. You kind of going back to the old measure. Uh, I think it is a fair question to ask. What are the next five going to do? Uh, I would suggest at first many of them are going to try to step up. But then you're going to have really just some independent tough questions from presidents, uh, from the Board of Regents, and uh, just who is savvy enough from a leadership position and to some degree from a political position to essentially get what they want done, and that's going to be based on what they think is the best interest of the university. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the case, but that's what they're going to try to do from that platform. So it'll be intriguing, the, the fallout of this. The other question that you have to look at this is you still have the television side of this, that it continues to expand, and you have many networks that are still looking for that program. So there are some positions where teams can still get some of that financial needs met. They just won't get the large uh, components that you see from the power five. So the question will be, is the financial needs that they're getting from the television revenue enough to offset the cost that they want to do? But the bigger question you're going to have to find out is, you're still going to have those proponents of people that want to see their football program or their basketball program at, quote-unquote, the level of the power five. And oddly enough, they're not necessarily going to look at some of the bottom feeders of the Power Five. They're going to look at the top feeder, if you would, of the Power Five. And that's where you might find some intriguing, true discussions when you have some of those boosters that are financially in a position to, to kind of lobby, if you would, to allow the football team maybe to be in a certain position. And then there's obviously the Title IX issues of how that will play out. And I just want to say that. There is a Title IX issue, but Title IX is a law just like any law. So it can be amended, it can be changed. So it's intriguing to me when people throw Title IX out as the buttress of saying what you can't do and not understanding, just like they've made changes to different laws over a period of time, just like they made changes to legislation within the NCA. All this means is that you need enough people to politically be in a position to change the legislation. Uh, which some people are working on anyway. So, which is maybe one of the reasons why the NCA, according to USA Today, has increased its uh, spending on lobbying last year to uh, to help improve their chances of winning certain issues. Absolutely. So uh, they're spending more money with lobbyists, 
So it's all about whose palms are, are getting greased to help the NCA win some of their cases, solve some of their problems, solve some of their issues, and cut off Congress at the pass before Congress gets involved and drops more hammers down or, or, or what have you. So but let's talk about on-court issues, sports. You know, well, we got one more we have to talk about off the court before we get on there. There you go. That's the there plate you. gate. Well, actually, we've got a couple. One cut. Hold that thought. Okay. <laughs> Since uh, Wildcat, one of his numerous conferences that he covered is Conference USA. <laughs> you ain't like that for a fan, but no, no, no. You <laughs> are but, but it's legitimate. It's legitimate. Go, go, go with your point. Go with your point. Southern it's legitimate. Today or yesterday, Seth imposed uh, a postseason ban for men's basketball. Will, no, will not be eligible to participate in the uh, postseason play for issues that uh, apparently took occurred under previous head coach Donnie Tindall, who's now at uh, Tennessee, I believe. Yeah. And he said he didn't do anything wrong in his tenure at Southern Miss, but uh, the NCA is investigating. So I think whether there's some smoke, there's fire. But thus, Southern Miss imposed the, the uh, ban, so they're not going to be participating in postseason. That's going to have some issues down there, you know, literally across the board. You know, football was involved early on. Now men's basketball. You know, once once they come on campus, okay. on, everybody gets everybody book get up, gets open up, and folks, you don't want them on your campus. You just don't. Like SMU. And that is worse because that. Men's basketball and was it golf? Yeah. Yeah. Those programs are on investigation by the NCA. And, oh. and when I, when I saw that, I was, the first thing that came back to my mind, last season's post game interview. Oh, it is, yeah, well. And, and it, it's, and it was, it, it has started beyond that because the news crew doesn't come to a, doesn't follow a team on the road and, you think it's, you know, it's a sport issue. And it was like a blind side. And after that, you knew then, okay, this, this, it's been thrown about, it's been thrown out there. Now you, you put them up under the, uh, under the microscope. You gotta clean it up. Yeah, that's it. Well, the NCA is, has sent a letter, an investigation letter to SMU around, as one of SMU's players, uh, Keith Frazier. Who went to, who played high school ball in the, in the Dallas area, and he had, was involved in academic issues in high school. And then there were some questions about how, based on his academic issues in high school, how he qualified at SMU. So all those, those issues have led to the NCAA looking into it. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I don't know if you can afford another toxic situation and one to really keep down. No, and, and Larry Brown is, you know, he's, he's, he's still saying it's, it's basically a grave issue. It's a minor issue. It's nothing involving NCAA investigation. Not just, nothing will come of this. You know, you'll see, et cetera, et cetera. We just look forward to keep returning to our team as soon as possible. And, you know, all, he's saying all the right things publicly. 
as he said during that press conference last when he was ambushed by a member of the media in front of all of us. I even had it on my YouTube Brown Body yeah. panel. Yeah. We didn't, the rest of me didn't know what, what this guy was talking about. This guy that went on a, a tirade for about five, ten minutes trying to grill Larry Brown on this Keith Frazier issue. And, uh, it was, it was something that was a sight to see. So if you want to do a search on Houston Brown Bar View on YouTube and look for Larry Brown ambush or whatever, I forgot I called it, but see if we, and we thought it was a bigger issue than it was, but, you know, apparently it got resolved. That, at, at that point, it got resolved. It right. wasn't as big as it, you know, that, that reporter made it, made it out to be. But the fact that they sent a news team rather than a sports, the sports team, that was different. Yeah. On the road, you know, it was like, okay, sure. You can obviously see that there was a point to be made. Oh, yeah. Well, trust me. But again, I think with the financial level that you see at stakes, when you see this all the way up to the professional level, as you maybe find a little segue into what we're seeing now with the display gate and then obviously with the spy gate that previously, even at the highest level, uh, whether it's TDs or what have you, um, the money is so big and the fame is so big that you're going to find many people that stretch the limits uh, to try to get that advantage. In a lot of ways, particularly depending on the sport, uh, in a lot of ways we celebrate. If you really that is true. Think about it. Well, we kind of look I mean, forward to those situations. In our phrases, and we don't even realize what we're saying. You know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Who hasn't said that? That's true. Before? That's true. At one point in time, not whether they necessarily agree with it in principle. You know, you just kind of let it slip off your tongue because that's just the kind of age we live in. And it's always been like that, to be frank. It's always been the need to get the edge. And I think the more that the money continues to grow, the more you're going to see people take these risks. So what are your thoughts about on the slate gate? Is, is the Patriots being the Patriots? The Patriots trying to gain an edge, gain an advantage? Or simply they broke the rules and they'd be punished? I think it's a little bit all three. It's the Patriots being the Patriots, which is the Patriots trying to have an edge. And in this case, they need to be punished. You know, if your rules are going to stand for anything, you're going to do it. And oddly enough, it happens to be a franchise and a coach that was caught into something else. They were able to kind of get by that. And so now you actually have a coach in a lot of ways is just kind of ambivalent to the rules. And so I'm not sure that you can really let that go forward without punishing, particularly in this media process that you have now and everything else that started with the NFL at the beginning of the season. So you start out with maybe chaos, if you would, at the beginning, and now you're trying to get to the end and you're still finding ways, whether it's in the first two rounds of the playoffs with uh, officiating calls, and now you get into yep. another controversy. Uh, it, it's just been a Weird, weird year, if you would, for uh, the NFL. And I think it's just the suffering of the leadership. And fortunately for Goodell, uh, he's done so well in terms of buying, getting the owner's financial in such a strong position that I still don't think it's really enough for them to say, okay, this man really has lost a lot of control. You notice 
that hadn't come up this time around. And as far as questioning whether he should still be in charge of the league. That that has not come up, which I find is totally ironic because the last what? the two issues and all that that's and the first thing everybody's I'm mouth. surprised about that too, but I think in a lot of ways because it happens to be New England, so more of the focus is on New England, particularly Coach Belichick, uh, versus some of it being more on the league. And I think the other part of it is the fact that the league has kind of you know, pushed their hands back and said we have no comments. So they at least didn't screw up the comment part of it, jumping out ahead of this. They're making sure they get everything out. Now, once the decision is made, I think then you may have some more issues with Jadell in terms of based on what type of punishment is issued on this and how he really delivers the information about what took place. I think then you may find a little more of it. I think you make an excellent point that, that there hasn't been a lot of focus on that. And I think that's because he's learned to some degree. From his last right. hell, saying little or saying things that are, that will come back to bite him, uh, they kind of put their hand out in front of him and said, hold on, we have no comment at this time. Even though they did leak it out that they were quite upset about what was taking place. Who are you, I sir? I Kraft, my Robert Kraft, Bob Kraft, I should say, is, is dealing with this. I am Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, the sports professor. Professor of sport management here at Texas Southern University. My research and a lot of my focus is on HBC sports, but as you can tell, I follow college sports, particularly from the financial and business side, and sports in general from the finance and business side. So I like to look at what takes place not only on the field or the court, or the baseball diamond for that matter, and all the other sporting platforms that we have out there, but also on the business side. What goes on in the offices, in the back offices as well. And Wildcat, you are? I am the fifth ward Wildcat. You can find me on the social media platform of, uh, Blogspot, Blogger, uh, YouTube, HASV, VCSR, The College Sports Report. You can find me on the other platforms of, of, uh, Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck. At uh, J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry Lee Woodley Jr. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. Houston Round Ball Review on YouTube. Houston Round Ball Review on Instagram. VHR Review on Twitter. We have our KG, 5th Ward, Wildcat, and Doc Facebook page. We'll be uh, encouraged listeners to uh, comment and post suggestions and answer questions and try to grill us for future podcasts. So visit the uh, KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc Facebook page. We also have our podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. I believe my colleagues also have their own SoundCloud accounts as well. Yes. As, as we are broadening our horizons. You've got to get used to it. That's all. got to yeah. get used to it. And to that point, I'm going to let the listeners know, as promised, as hoped, as planned, we had discussed this, that uh, one of our goals was to for Dr. Cavill to join us at the Women's Final Four for a, his first time. All three of us have been approved yes. by the NCA to attend and cover the NCA Women's Final Four in Tampa in April. And I believe this will also help us 
to uh, be approved for the men's Final Four in Houston next year, which will be wonderful. It'll be in H-Town. We'll have to go very far at all. Cool. Stay in our own beds. Yep. Nice. Hobnob. Yep. Network, etc. Yep. And see all those oh, yeah. media representatives from across the country. Don't forget the original coming up this round. Well, uh, we all applied for it, so we got to get approved of that, too, hopefully. So that'll be week before the, the uh, Final Four. But, yes, so uh, we will have a podcast from Tampa. That is the plan. That's yep. one. So um, that's a good thing. Working on that. You want to talk some baseball? You have any Astros you want to talk about? Any any Cougars? The Cougars are number I'll, seven. I'll, in, I'll in, in a, do not do not talk about it. I'll, well, the only reason I'm going to mention Why do you say that, Doc? Because the general manager. Yeah, they're they're gonna, gonna, there you go. I'm going there. 500 this year. And they're going to. He, he's got them looking at uh, what? Close to the playoffs? That's what he said, Doc. Doc, that's what he said, Doc. That's what he said, Doc. Uh-huh. That's like he got on TV and said that statement with a straight face. They're making dead in the eye and said, hey, we going to the playoffs. We're going to be above 500. This is a different team. We putting together. It's time to make our time has come. Like Jesse said, our time has come. I am silent for you. And I'm going to let that go. Because right. I know what that means coming from Doc. Don't want to talk too much about you, Vage men's women's basketball, because it's not let. Not much success to talk about. Nope. Uh, but we are sitting. The, the we men are, are winless in the conference, in the American Athletic Conference, and the women are have one win. And um, the ladies have stepped. The women have taken a step back. Yeah. And have uh, lost about forty points recently in in the conference games. But they aren't the only one though. They lose about. 40 well, yeah, points. but that wasn't to UConn. So. <laughs> okay. And it's that the, was to East Carolina. Who is not UConn? So goodness knows what UConn will do when U of H makes their their trip to Connecticut. I believe it's in ten days or two weeks. That may be a sixty point thrashing, uh, or it'll be whatever you know wants it to be. Yeah. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. There, uh, that game will be February seventeenth. I think that's a Saturday uh, in Hartford. So name your score. Listen to me. Have, you got to have a contest. Then name your name your score margin or something on your Facebook uh, our Facebook page. Because one thing is for sure, UConn is not taking a foot off the gas right now. They are outproving a point every night. But you are correct in that. We need to give some some credit to Tulane women's basketball and Tulsa's men's basketball because both those teams are representing the American. Uh, to what it would. They're both in early NCAA, in early bracketology. Oh, okay, yeah. The American has three teams on I each agree. side in the men's tournament and three te- and three teams in the women's tournament. Women's ter- women's side: UConn, naturally, USF, South Florida, and Tulane. And I believe, let me look at the Mr. Lenardi. I believe Tulsa. Kind of curious if he's got Connecticut. No, he has Connecticut out right now. On the men's side, and Connecticut is struggling uh, on the men's side. But Tulsa is in the turn. Tulsa is in first place in, in the in the American Athletic Conference on the men's side. So that's that's a surprise there. You know, being the first year in the conference, even though I think Wildcat may not be too surprised about their success. Nope. The cover was not left bare. Exactly. And folks got to remember that. So I'm, I'm going I'm scanning through uh, Lenardi's latest S curve here. We put. Wildcat and I know about because he's privileged and allowed to attend a few mock selections in Indianapolis. 
But also, TSU, men's basketball, Coach Davis undefeated in SWAC. They are on the, they're projected to be a 15 seed. So, not a 16. And, and could and do a be a 14. Then there you go. So, uh, could possibly get to that. So, that is good for the SWAC. Good yes. for TSU. It's, uh, not good for U of H. No. But I'm not even going to get on my, my, uh, soapbox. I do like what Coach Sampson said earlier in the, uh, earlier this week, mentioning a, uh, in an article that they are through being bought. If you're going to play us, we're going to want a home and home. And that's how it's going to go. We're not going to be just taking checks and all and going down the road, you know, accepting. And, and, down. and who said this? Coach Sampson did. Coach Kelvin Sampson? Yes, sir. Are, are, are they Duke now? Are they Kentucky? Well, hey, you, 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 uh, you have to expire to some point. It, whether whether it, you are there now. It, you, sound, you, it you, sounds good. You know, you, you, you got to look down the road. Unless you are trying to schedule Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Michigan State, home and homes. You know, I, I have no. Why would, why would I? If you are trying to build a program, lay a foundation, as he said, he as he said publicly, what's wrong with going to Duke twice in three years and having to come here once? What's wrong with going to Lexington twice and getting a check and having them come here once? Until you get to a point of where you are worthy of being home and home, uh, legit. I, I I disagree with his his thoughts on that. Yeah. You can disagree, but he made a statement, and oh. he should be commended for making that statement. I don't know about commended. I do. He can be, you know, he can be commended for his honesty. I think it's short-sighted. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued from the standpoint. It would be interesting to make sure that the AD and coach are on the same page in terms of that thought process. Just to go back a little bit in terms of HBCU, I do agree uh, that money games are not to solve everything. But he's talking about more on the money game side than I, I have agreement with him. But as Chris alluded to, it would be interesting to go a little deeper in terms of his thought process there. If he's talking about bringing in brand new schools to this area, and how is that going to all align up as they're working for uh, arenas and those kinds of things? Who's going to come down here and play uh, a home and home? And why would you why would you subject yourself to that if you don't have to? Uh, to a team that you don't think necessarily is on the level. So even if he has the thought process and you can say, as you talked about that being a good uh, mind frame, is it something that he can actually pull off? He believes so. And then the other thing you always got to look at when you start scheduling games, especially when you're out of the area, is there someone down there I want to pick up and take out? And it depends on what year it is. I don't know what the, I hadn't seen any high school games at all this year. I hadn't kept up with any of the uh, recruiting going on in the area. Uh, I will get in touch with our friend, uh, Mr. Hicks. But if somebody wants to come in and pick somebody up, you'll schedule. You'll schedule. I don't know how, I, I think there's something to that. Oftentimes when you have a kid, it's probably more, even more. But then too, the, and, and the only reason I but say I'm that. I'm just saying if you like, for example, like Chris said, if you can trust me, you think it's realistic that he can get a home home with Kentucky? If you, uh, you know, so, home home with well, I, I don't know. 
the, the, the coaching, the coaching landscape and all these, well, these guys are in charge now, but most, but quite a few coaches have the philosophy of if I take you out and I decide that, that and at some point before the four years is up, I'm going to take you home. Right, and, and, I'm, not and, 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 I'm not even disagreeing with the philosophy. Mine is not necessarily the philosophy. As much as Chris said, my thing is realistically, can he get it done? Who is he going to be able to get on the road? We already see that the Power Five, we just talked about this earlier, that the Power Five is not playing with everybody else. If you look at schedule mm-hmm. this year, oh, yeah. the Power Five played each other. Texas played Kentucky. You know, they even have this philosophy now that they're going to take these trips around the country to play in these mega markets about these major brands. You had the one in Chicago this year. You have the one down in uh, the Bahamas. And all you see is the Power Five and these big branded programs. They play each other. So how are you going to crack into that? I mean, it's hard enough for UConn to be able to do it, and they won a national championship. Uh, so they can at least argue that they're going to make sure your RPI is going to be up there when you play them. Uh, even schools like Memphis, that is kind of falling on hard times. They're beginning to have a harder time uh, playing these home and home. And see, keep in mind. So that, that's where I'm coming right. from. How realistic is it? Not the philosophical. You know, keep in mind that uh, the American at Media Day said that they have encouraged strongly encourage the teams to have stronger non-conference schedules. Well, if the elite programs or the above-average programs won't give you home and homes, then what are you going to do in how to improve your, your non-conference schedule? Because why would Kentucky agree to just a strict home and home with U of H? Not Kentucky. Why would I just? Why would I agree to just come? You just come to my place once, and I go to your place once. Yeah. You have, as he said, as Coach Sam's own words said recently, you has not won a tournament game in thirty years. You have won a tournament game in thirty years, and yet I'm going to agree to home and home with you. It didn't stop Kentucky getting twins out of here. Oh, and everything was just down. Everything. Did, but I'm saying, yeah. they didn't have to play a team to get them out but, of here. But see, the other thing too now. If the recruits and all, it, it depends on, like I said, it, it depends on the recruit process. Right, but that's you know? a lot. You, you saying that you're going to make this happen based on whether you have a big enough recruit that's going to force another team to be able to do that? That's, that's asking quite a bit. First of all, you got to make sure that you said that you got a kid talented enough to even have them interested in it. What kid in Houston is the top 10 player? Right there, I hadn't seen any. And, and, exactly. and he's got to start getting the local kids stay, and the top Tier kids to stay here and go to U of H. That's what You know, if he said they were to say home and home two years from now, and they've started winning, and you can see them on the uptick, okay. But right now, yeah. you're winless in we winless in the conference, holding up the rest of the conference as the as the literal foundation, as you have no wins in the American this year. To be home, say that you're home and home. I that just that's foolhardy right now to to, to for that. Well. It's out of his words. It's out of his yeah, mind. You know, like I said, that's yeah, right. I think he and, said it, but I was... And, and the mentality and all of it. was the, 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 talking the, about that it was realistic. I think people would say anything. But they might... He may be pulling it. He, he could pull it off. He could pull it off. I don't we'll, 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 we'll see. As, as Doc see. said, we'll see if he and, and the, the AD agree with that. And it's not even based on him wanting to do it. I just don't even think the landscape will necessarily allow him to do it. But a couple of things, right. We got three teams from the American: Cincinnati, Southern Miss, 
and Tulsa in the projected NCAA tournament on the men's side. U of H men are playing Cincinnati right now, so we'll see how they do uh, this evening. But And the Cougars, the Cougar alums are in, an impatient lot. <laughs> on, on, you know, more, no, more so because we're so insecure about a lot of things. We, we feel personally victimized that uh, folks are disappointed in the, the uh, poor showing this season. So for him to say things at home and home right now, I just think that's a, he's jumping the gun, you know, right, right now for that. Because they gotta, they gotta win to get people to come see them play. Their own fans and alums to come see them play and, and scheduling a SWAC team that ain't TSU is not going to draw people to come see them play. Scheduling Rice is not going to get people to come see them play. And then tell them, they can say all they want to about, well, we try to get the Longhorns here and all that. But once again, the Longhorns, we can get the kids right now. We ain't got to come to you. So why do we want to give you home and home? Right. We'll get your kids out of Houston anyway. because we're Texas. Yeah, we think we can do it anyway. So we don't need you to get our players. You need us more, we need you. So that's the mentality that, that you has to overcome. And they had the ability to play in your backyard. They scheduled the games at the Toyota Center. They playing it anyway. So what's the other that going to be in Plus, all this combined with how, how is U going to afford cost of attendance? How are they going to afford competing with the big boys if they don't have a few check games and go on the road, you know, a couple of times to go to Kentucky or go play somebody and get a check? Like you just said, with the frustration and apathy of the fans, it's not going to be based on what they're able to sell at the gate. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how all this plays out. But I want to acknowledge a su- surprise in women's basketball. Um, the Oklahoma Sooners mm-hmm. are undefeated in the Big 12. Yeah. So apparently I shoveled dirt on Sherry Cole a little too early. A little too early. So um, I'm surprised I haven't heard from her. Uh, I'm so, I, I gotta assume that my comments got back to her at some point. <laughs> um, but that's okay. They're 6 0 in the Big 12. So uh, they and Baylor are two undefeated teams in the Big 12. Longhorns got some bad news with Necker and Kali out for the eight year with torn ACL. Uh, really they were playing good ball. So, yep. So they're going to take a, probably a step back now. So we'll see how that play, all plays out. Getting closer to the big matchup, one versus two, UConn versus South Carolina, uh, February 9th on Big Monday. And we'll, have, we'll, we'll make predictions about that one as, as we get closer to that. Oh, by the way, just in passing, UConn is leading UCF at halftime, 61-18. Like I said, the foot is on the, on the gas, though, not on the brake. 61-18. to 18. And a half. And you, uh, you, UConn played uh, South Florida last week. It happens, though. And South Florida, you, you seen them? Okay. Yeah, South happened. Florida oh, was top 25. Was, I think, ranked 25th when, when UConn played. The final score was at 92 to 50. Amazing. I'm going to give you an example of that. 
Tennessee State uh, defeated Tennessee Tech in like 67 to 64. So they almost scored what those two teams did in the whole game at the half. Yeah, we we'll give a little love to Tennessee State. They're playing some very good basketball. They still in the Ohio Valley. Yes, in Ohio Valley, five and one now, eight and nine with this win, uh, leading the pack in the Eastern Division of the OVC. The women uh, doing very well, not so well for the men. They on the opposite side, they're at the bottom, so not a love there. And while we're talking about some HBCUs, let's give some love to the Texas Southern women. Yes. Yeah. I would argue they're playing probably the best basketball in the city. Four and one, seven and nine in terms of what they're getting done. I agree with that. What is basketball? Yeah, they are. They had a tough loss where they lost to Prairie View. Outside of that, they really uh, done well. And they beat uh, some of the top teams in the conference. They beat Southern, who was second place at four and two. They went down to Alcorn at four and two. They'll play Alabama State in two weeks, which will be interesting because they go to Alabama, which could be even more interesting if you look at it on the men's side. We'll jump back to the MEAC with the women, but I think there's a correlation here when we talk about uh, Texas Southern and Alabama State because they're leading the division on the men's side. Both teams are at 5-0, and Alabama State at 9-5, and Texas Southern at 8-10. and As you said, we talked about where they ranked bracketology, so they're playing well, but this is one to keep your eye on, particularly going on the road with both teams playing well. I'd have to leave towards uh, Texas Southern, although it'll be intriguing. Alabama State plays some good basketball uh, at home. They got a big win over Alabama A&M on the road in Huntsville, Alabama, early this week. And Alabama's sitting at three and two uh, for the fourth spot with Southern five and one. Their only loss is to Texas Southern. And remember that game was on ESPNU last second uh, free throw after a steal uh, and a block shot that would have gave Southern a lead by Gibbs blocking the Texas Southern going up. But Darius Gibbs saved the game yeah, for TSU. Yeah, a beautiful block yeah, shot. Music. Without drawing a foul. Yeah, it was a great block. Being game saved the block. Of Chris, of the transfer from uh, coming in, getting done from the, uh, Nebraska there, he uh, was uh, playing some good ball. He got back there, and because of his hustle to get the rebound, and a mistake by the Southern players uh, fighting for the rebound as well, fouled him, which sent him to the line to hit that free throw that actually won that game. Big time game there. When we look at it, Shiver's not dead, so we'll talk about the women's side. Hampton continues to get it done 5-0, and but this is not the same type of Hampton team that we've seen in the past. 9-9, but just let you know how much of a problem they have in the mid, that they happen to be 5-0 and and they really don't have the talent that they've had in the past. And they're just ridiculous in terms of what they're doing in the I'm It's getting so long now, I can't tell you the last time they lost a conference game. I'll have to go dig it up. It's just been that long, wow. so off the charts that it is ridiculous in terms of their win streak in terms of conference play. Behind them, though, staying in Virginia, Norfolk State five and one on the winning side, six and eleven. They're surprising everybody in terms of what they're doing. The rest of the teams are in the pack, two and three losses uh, in the backside. Savannah State, Maryland, Eastern Shore, uh, to give them some love there. Uh, what's going on? And then let's jump to the men's side. Very intriguing matchups this past weekend. First, on Saturday, it was a matchup between two undefeated teams. You had North Carolina Central facing off, traveling to Virginia to play Norfolk State. Both teams were 5-0 at the time. North Carolina Central got a three-point win. Um, the game was not that close during the matchup. The Norfolk State did make a lot run to try to uh, get that victory at home, but couldn't get it. And so, North Carolina Central is 6-0. Remember, they went 16-0 in the conference and won the three conference uh, 
mm-hmm. games in the tournament. So they have a nice little win streak going on themselves. I think they have something like a 26-27 home win streak. Uh, so you talk about basketball in North Carolina. North Carolina Central is getting it done right there. This is a program that has a lot of history for themselves, particularly when you look at basketball uh, under the HBC umbrella. John McClendon, a lot of people know about the yes. doctor there. Oh, yeah. Remember, he won a championship for North Carolina Central with the team they called there, the, the Midgets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> guys, because they were so fast and played it up tempo game. Game. He actually won the first CIAA tournament in Washington, D.C. in like 1946. So, a lot of history there. The coach, Mouton, actually won a championship at the NCAA Division II level. A lot of history there. Unlike Tennessee State, that has also has a lot of history because that's where McClendon went. And people know by now that they won, uh, first ever to win three straight championships. And that happened obviously in the 50s there as they were getting it done. Tennessee State on that side, on the men's side. Needs to get back to the top. They were up there a couple of years ago, but lost their coach. Another thing that you have to think about, if you're going to have that type of program, you get a chance, as you said, and you want to do it, you're going to have to pile up and pay those coaches that type of money. Texas Southern has pretty much done that, and you see what it's able to do for that program. So that's something to keep your eye on. Also, when you look at the um, teams that are not of the Power Five, what are they going to do financially? Uh, and no telling where this money will go because even the big time programs can pay assistant coaches as the money continues to go up. Uh, and so oftentimes it's going to be about a guy that just wants to be a head coach and you being able to put enough on the plate where he feels comfortable. But as we start to close out on this, I do want to uh, give a little more in terms of the major division. I thought there was possibly an upset that could happen on Monday because they travel in Paris like you see in the SWAT. And so while North Carolina Central was playing Norfolk, the Monday they turned around and had to play Hampton. Hampton also was undefeated going in this week, and obviously we talk about the pairs that showed up. So you had North Carolina A&T playing Hampton on Saturday. Hampton drew a loss. So I was like, ooh, upset, major upset on Monday. Hampton's going to be wanting to get back on the win streak. They definitely don't want to get two losses in the column as they are in the MEAC. And then maybe... You would think North Carolina Central on the road might have a letdown after playing such an emotional game. No, Mouton is not having it. They picked up the win. Now you have Hampton with two losses, four and two, eight and ten overall in the MEAC. A little bit in the desperate look there, uh, as they still have to play Norfolk State uh, in conference again. There, North Carolina Central sitting at the top, six and zero, fourteen and five, beating uh, both the number two team right now and the number four team. So they're looking very solid. Delaware State. Give them some love sitting there, number three, three and one, nine and nine. FAMU, 0-5, 0-18, have to get it up there. I'm not sure they'll win the game this year. Major struggles on uh, the heels down there in Tallahassee as they try to get it done. So that's uh, uh, frustrating there. I do want to give a little love at what I refer to as the mid-major division. That's when you see some teams playing at the NCAA Division Two and NAIA. Let's start at the NAIA, Langston. Yeah. 15-0. and 0. Yep. This was as of um, Monday, I would say. 7-0 in the conference race. Who's coaching Langston? Many people may have forgot. USC, great. TNT. Cheryl Miller. Yeah. Miller. She's, she's holding she's, on. She's getting it done. But she's got an athletic director that believes in her, though. Yeah, she, and she's getting it done on the court. And remember, many people thought she was not quite ready to make that move. There's another coach that we've seen do similar things uh, at HBCU. But they both learned that. And USC yeah. played on the championship level team as well. 
our very own Cynthia Cooper. So it'll be interesting to see if she can kind of take that road in terms of going through the HBC landscape. And we'll be interested to see if, how long uh, she will stay at Langston before other people come to calling. And first, definitely some HBC Division One programs, if not some programs outside of that. Right behind them, I want to give a little love to Wiley College. They were undefeated, but they've hit a little road skid, if you would, losing two out of the last three. They're sitting at five and two now, ten and ten and two. So um, they won the last game, but they had lost two straight. One of them, Texas College, their rival, three point loss there. On the men's side, you have Wiley College, Langston sitting at three and four spot in Red River, uh, respectively, in terms of five and two, four and three in the conference race. Um, Talladega getting it done 17 and 3, I should say, 4 and 0 in the conference race. That's the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference and all HBCU conference at the NAIA level. And Suno, uh, 9 and 2, 3 and 0 on the women's side getting it done. Xavier is always pretty solid, 14 and 6, 3 and 1. Atlanta Smith on the women's side also getting it there. Let's go to the SIC as we start traveling around quickly here. Payne, 7 and 0, 11 3 on the East Division of the men's side for the SIC. Uh, West is Lemoyne Owen Lane out of Tennessee. Should be an interesting matchup as that come up. Both teams are sitting at five and two, getting it done in terms of the conference race. Not a lot of wins in non-conference play, so these teams are really going to have to win the conference to get their bid uh, and get in position to get their bid for the NCAA Division II playoffs. On the women's side, uh, nine and four. Lemoyne Owen is doing both men's and women's double dipping. Uh, women are five and one in the conference play. Really doing solid. We'll only give a little love to Spring Hill. They are in SIC. That is not HBCU. This is the first year in the conference. They're sitting in the second place at 5 and 2, 8 and 7. So they're doing what they're supposed to do, jumping the conference, playing some basketball. On the east side, you have Benedict, 6 and 1, 11 and 4. Right behind them, Albany State is always finding a way to be in the business. Very solid program, particularly on the women's side, 5 and 2. They do have a losing record overall, those 6 and 8, oddly enough. CIAA, we just talked about the legend of the CIAA. Let's look at them as they continue to get it done. Northern Division, Virginia State, 11-5, 5-2. They won my national championship. HBCU last year went a couple of rounds in the playoffs. They are very solid. Right behind them, Bowie State, 6-1, and one, actually leading the division at 14-5. They had a flip-flop because in the CIAA, they actually look at the division, not just conference rate, okay. where Virginia State is 2-0, 1-0 in terms of the division lineup. In the southern side, they're kind of stacked up there. Can't have a lot of separation. Thought Winston-Salem State was going to do it, but you actually have four teams with three losses. So we won't spend a lot of time with there. That's Livingston-Fairville State, Winston-Salem State, and Shaw. So they will see if that will check out a little later. On the winning side, Lincoln, Pennsylvania, 1-0, and 4-2, 12-4 in the race there. Right behind them is Virginia State, 3-3 uh, three and three as you see them crowd is there. Saving maybe the best for last, Livingston. Bluebirds, the Lady Bluebirds, they are 16-0. and 0. 7-0 in Division Two, ranked top 25 Division Two, playing some very good basketball. Obviously, anybody that has an undefeated ranking at this point is getting it done. 7-0 in the conference race, and that'll do it for Dr. Tibble's HBCU Sports Report, both for the mid-major and major division program. There's a lot of good basketball being played right here in our backyard. We had uh, prayers you get to. Needed wins that they started off 0-3 on the men's side. Got two wins. Let you know that uh, Ramblin' and Jackson State, boy, are they struggling. I'm not sure if they had those two pairs playing this bad of basketball in this type of year in a long time. Then, i let you jump in on the women's side. Prairie View also jumped back into the business of playing some basketball. He got two big wins, uh, getting three straight wins, as I said earlier. 
She's the only program that has beaten Texas Southern, so she sits at three and two as they're back in the race as well in the SWAT competition. Doc, Monday night, um, beat a pass over here as quick as I could. Follow you up in there. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I have never seen a Jackson State team look like that at the end of, at the end of a game. They always had, they, they would always make a run and would push. They didn't have any push the other night. Yeah, and, and, and that, that bothered me. I don't know, uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to coach uh, in the Baton program. Uh, but that he lost one of the players that was transferring in. He actually played one game in January because we had the hell out wow. for December. And he has a strong growing. They'll say he's out for oh, a week. But because of the way the season's going, they might be him out the whole year. So that's something, uh, mm. part of it. But mm. obviously this is a heckling Jekyll type team. Yeah. Remember, this is a team that actually had North Carolina Central beat yep. at home. Yeah. Uh, that allowed a late three to tie the game like in overtime, and they lost in overtime by three. So this is a weird team to really figure out. And the score of the game is not an indicator of how much Texas Southern really dominated. They called the dogs off, and so you had right. a double-digit win, but it was much closer uh, than how the entire game was played, as we talk about. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, that's the coach where they tried to do the high school Thing. Right, yeah. We young guy that, uh, that couldn't get it done at Texas and I think that's very difficult. If you talk about Oklahoma, obviously they've done it on the inside uh, in terms of bringing a high school coach up. But I just think it's too difficult in these days of age, unfortunately. Even though you say a coach knows basketball, knows coaching, and I do agree with that, coaching-wise doesn't get it done. But when you start thinking about everything else in terms of having a recruitment, right, yeah. APR, all these kind of issues, it makes it that much more difficult to really get it done on the Division One level, so sometimes it's interesting to see other programs like Valley. Uh, coach down there, he got in late, so he has to go get into recruiting Andre Payne, and he transitioned from Wiley College to now to Mississippi Valley. So those are some of the guys that teach you up. And then you had Alcorn State. They did the same thing. They brought in a high school coach there. And remember, at the beginning of the season, he took a leave of absence. Right. And yeah. People were trying to figure out, was that the APR issue or was it the medical type? They hadn't put it out, but some people said it's not necessarily medical from that he was feeling the fire in terms of them looking at him in the APR and obviously more losses than winning. And the, and the key to moving up is not so much you being in charge. It's about you being able to put a staff together. And you got to put a staff together that understands all the aspects. Somebody that understands compliance. Somebody that understands the recruiting process of it. And folks, the, the, the other thing that, that happens too on the college level, every college coach every year they have to take a test, and it's a rules test, and it's online, yeah. and, you, and it, it will time out on you. I, I found out from quite a few of my friends and all, and, and a couple of kids that have, have moved up. It's interesting how quickly you don't pay attention to uh, the time factor and all to, to when you're trying to take that test. I think it's, uh, it may be up to 60 questions now. But at one point it was four to five and people were still, they, 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 they found out they just didn't know. You know, just didn't know the rules and just weren't up to date. And just depending on somebody else in the office and all to get that done to help you out with it, uh, it was not happening anymore. You, you yourself got to actually know what's going on. Yeah, which goes back to that autonomy power five issue, which is another part of that issue is what you're talking about is putting together staff and that's a pretty significant, significant staff. And so you're talking about financially 
deciding that you want to do it. Again, you look at Texas Southern, not to say that they're end-all, be-all in terms of ACC sports or any sports at all, but uh, in terms of what they're doing on the basketball court, they have, they have a full staff. They even started that with Harvey yeah. uh, in regards to right. uh, what they were able to achieve. And so they're one of the few programs at the ACC level that said, all right, you know, we not only do we have a history, obviously, in basketball, but we want to be successful in basketball. And I think if you put the staff together in basketball, it's actually easier to win in basketball than in football with all the different pieces, no matter what type of staff you put in, play for football as well. Going to wrap it up with two things. One, the seventh-ranked preseason ranked number seven U.H. Cougar baseball team. Yeah. Wild, ping to the back. Wildcats. Ah. Uh, Who's a ranked 13th. 13th. 7th better than 13 when it's come to rankings, ladies and gentlemen. Keep Hold that on in mind. Then you Keep that in mind. Fan appreciation day. Your place in place. Will be Saturday, February 7th. That'd be nice for the Cougs to get a Super Regional. Right. Oh, yeah. But last year, right. 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 So, you know, right. Right. It's been a while. And it goes back to what I said earlier in the, in the earlier podcast. I didn't hear any pinging going on in the off season, mm. especially the last two months. Is it beautiful? Well, well you know, nowhere. U of H, all right. And everybody's got the indoor. Well, they're all they're all pinging inside. Wow, really? I, I didn't hear a pinging. Get, I, well, didn't, you, I didn't hear a pinging. Ask, 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 ask to find out. Ask yeah. to find I know. Trust me, I did close it up. I do want to get this. Uh, as we always like to look at the financial side, you know. Yeah, okay. Four inches. Oh yeah. Put I, it out there. I put it on Twitter. You gonna put it out there? Oh, yeah. Eleven NBA teams now worth a billion dollars. Hey, man, uh, if, is, if, is the local team on there? Yes, sir. Rex, uh, worth 1.6 billion. Well. They in the I think it's right, yeah. Well, that, that explains some, 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 some walking and talking that I've been seeing around the building, man. They in the business. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing. And so it'd be harder and harder for, for the owners to cry poverty, uh, when the lockout. Trust me, they're going to Oh, they will. They're going to cry poverty. They will. But it's going to be harder for them to make the case. Yeah, it's going to be harder for the fans to side with the owners. You know, well, you know, y'all, Forbes says y'all are worth this, so how are you telling me that y'all are, are losing money? Fans can read too that. We're pretty sad. Oh, excuse me, the Rockets are worth, in this valuation by Forbes, $1.25 billion. Now, that is an increase of 61%, though. Is the organization or uh, the owner? Organization. Organization. Franchise. Well, you know how they even get creative, you know, and kind of like. Well, you got to remember evaluation, which is what you're talking about, is essentially with all your assets together, what is the team actually worth if you're going to put on the market and put it on the seller. And so there's some amortization in there. Uh, it's about the footage and everything. So essentially that's how they do evaluation of a, of a team's worth. It's everything put together. Uh, but either way, how you look at it, when you get to a billion dollars, trust me, most folks that are in the ownership position, they just smile. The now, league average. The league average is one point one oh six billion. Now I'm gonna ask this question. You guys can can because I hadn't had time to like get, go over this because I've been checking some other. I've been doing some other other things now uh, on person side. But do you think it had a lot to do with teams that recently got sold the oh, way it, 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 it reevaluated? They reevaluated. Exactly what happened. And you know, you get that nail 
on the head. That evaluation of the last two sales, particularly as we know with the Clippers, going for two billion. Um, when Forbes looked at it, it's one of the things that they openly said that the valuation was going to have to radically change. And so what you found out that MVP was worth a lot more uh, than it did. Now, the ownership, in one hand, are glad to hear that, but another hand, like you said, that said something else. Learn uh, from that because, again, you're looking at the net worth as if you were going to sell the team. So it's not necessarily what you generate in revenue for you. So the article will be in Forbes February 9th issue, I believe, for more information, more details about the franchise values of the NBA team. Our next podcast will talk about the predictions of for the big game, the football game between Deflate Gate and the Seahawks. Um, Mid-season uh, basketball awards situation. If you want to give that out, you know, whatever. Yeah, man. We'll talk I, about the Rockets. It'd be something. Try to avoid getting swept by the Warriors, the regular season matchup after they got thrashed on Saturday by 25. What is that all about? I'm, I'm asking. I'm serious. Because those are double-digit losses that they have yet to close that gap. The Warriors let Dwight get his, and they got a three-point line. That's yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, that's the matchup. So, now, and I'm glad you mentioned that, guard play is lacking defensively or is it offensively just can't get things done on the Rockets side? Against the Warriors? Yeah. It's both. Both, yeah, I think it's both. To to the extent that no chemistry change out on the floor can can at least slow that down or close the gap. Just think about this. This season, how often have you heard Patrick Beverly have an impact on the game because of the defense. No, zero. Thank you. Moving on. So his 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 uh <laughs> the, the bloom off his rose. The bloom is falling off his rose. Okay, now getting to a contract year. Okay, now with that being said, does the other guy has he found a way to kind of like compensate that and and carry that load? Who? Uh, what other guy? James Hart. Come playoff time, the Rockets' lack of a quality point guard will will rear its head. Yeah. I mean, there's folks in media who said for the last few weeks that uh, the Rockets are going to make a push for going Dragic, either by the trade deadline or free agency come summertime, bring him back. So, you know, Mr. Moy, well, sometimes he hits home runs, sometimes he strikes out. Then going Dragic to go with a strikeout. Especially if you try to get him back. So, well, one last thing. I want to put this bug in the air. I'm sure the Longhorn Nation is all freaking, well, giddy, and Aggie Nation is freaking out. Yeah. But apparently, on Kyler Murray. Made a move today. Um, made a move. Put a, posted a picture on his uh, Twitter account of his Longhorn jersey. Made an official visit. An unofficial so visit. He com- so he's they a say. verbal commit to the Aggies, but he. Tweeted a picture of a number one in Longhorn uh, jersey. Very intriguing. Signing day is uh, just like the uh, few weeks away. The Ir- Michael Irvin cousin out of Florida. When yeah, they said they were getting all these Florida kids. One of them, uh, the Irvin kid, has splashed all his money and has changed his commit to Auburn. So that's a big story now with a lot of people out there talking about where he get all this money from. He's the cousin of Michael Irvin. Hey. Anytime you, any you, 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 you up for a felony charge and you show up in court, in court, with a full length, real mink coat, sunshade, 
pimping like you like you big daddy grip. You don't have a care in the world, and you're gonna ask where that kid got money from. <laughs> you are a part of a family. Am I wrong, Doc? No, not necessarily. They asked me. I'm just saying that's that's why I put it out there. He is coming, my girl. There you go. Don't ask no question. One last thing. How can folks find you, sir? You can find me online, YouTube, uh, the blogger, and uh, having a senior moment here. Uh, AKSV, the CSR, the College Sports Report, and on uh, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, TweetDeck, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, and JL Woodley One, Jerry Lee Woodley Jr. Stop. Yeah, you can find me at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, social media platform, D R K E N Y T T A C A V I L. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also on SoundCloud and inside the HBC Sports Lab, which is a radio show I do every Tuesday. You can catch it live on www.caseworkradio.com. As I said, every Tuesday from 7 to 8. If you do not catch it on Tuesday, I do put it on SoundCloud before the end of the week. If you want to listen to it on your own leisure, as you can see by the title of the program, we really go in depth about HBCU issues, um, sporting updates, uh, even more than what you get here. So those fans that really like to follow HBCUs, you get a chance to really get in. You can call in on that show. As we've had callers calling all, yep. all around the world, the East Coast, down South, yep. Southwest, uh, giving their opinion on many issues about HBCUs. So we love the callers. And sometimes we get a chance to do some great in-depth interviews. We had Lynn Barney on. We did a full session. And with his, uh, with his he gave some real history. He gave some real history. He talked about the fact uh, when he was in Detroit Lions. <laughs> oh man, now that was funny. That was funny. I, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> what am I referring to? Marvin Gaye <laughs> making an attempt. You know, I'm going to play in the NFL. So funny. <laughs> I'm going to play in the NFL. And he literally goes through the story, and as the coaches ask me, he says, and I won't let too much of this go out there for those listeners that want to hear it. But you got to really hear Lombardi tell it. But one of the things I will let that coach kind of said, uh, Marvin Gay down and said, Marvin, uh, have you played college? Where do you play college at? Oh, coach, he dropped his head, coach. I, I hadn't played college. He said, if you give me the ball, I'm going to take it to the house. <laughs> and he goes a little more deep. I won't even say any more about it, but you really need to go listen because you Keep interviewers asking more questions. And oddly enough, he gives them a shot. And as big as he was, he actually played well enough. But I also won't let you know what happened or whether he actually got a shot to play on Sunday. You can look it up in the record and listen to the podcast to find out. He feel he, he got a dream. And he, 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 he had hope. Part of and he got a fulfilled part of it. Yeah, no and question about it. He, he and got a chance to how we got into that, he talked about the fact that he found he sung back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and when 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 I and it was ironic that the person that mentioned that and brought that up, all the things, you know, it was quite a few guys, you know. And I, he really loved it when I was talking about that, the fact that he, when he was at Jackson State, I said it was Jackson State College, so he just mm-hmm. took him back. He said, "Oh, this guy's homework." Right. So Jackson State University. It was a good interview. Go ahead. But but the, the and I'm gonna say this because you got to actually hear Lim talk about this situation. But he was actually a backup singer on one of Marvin's Hall of Fame hits. Yeah. You got a plaque? 
got to put gold, gold? Uh, gold platinum. Uh, Doc, what is the name of that song? Uh, what's going on? What's going on? Folks, it was done in Detroit and during those times. Yeah, it was going on. It was oh, going another on. thing he did tell us I thought was interesting, he literally said, and just to let you know, historically, and we kind of moved past it, you could tell a lot of those things. He talked about uh, just hearing the news about Martin Luther King being shot and then literally going to um, Detroit. And the day that he arrived, the riots were going on. So he was like, what is the world? Going on, fashion. So he gave a lot of hits. And he talked about all the talent that was being swept. Players he played, and he just picked them up. And I gave some out there, and he just really started rattling off. So beautiful interviews. And which, 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 little historical SoundCloud, which, e- which episode? Uh, the last um, week's episode? Yeah, the week before last, which, uh, I think it's episode 18. Okay, so listen, go check that out. Email, so, so go check that out for morning, sure. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out myself. So uh, I'm not even going to waste any time letting folks know who I am because I want to let everybody end on notes about Lynn Barney and Marvin Gaye. So thank you, everybody, for listening to another KG Fifth World Wildcat and Doc podcast. We'll be back as soon as possible. Gentlemen, thank you for your time and your insight. It's a pleasure. Listeners, we appreciate your uh, tweets and retweets and favorites about the podcast. Thank you for listening on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm going to wrap it up as I always do. Wait, before you say that, I want to say thank you, Chris. Thank you to both of you for bringing me on. But thank you, Chris, for leading the way and doing what you do to keep this moving forward. Do your thing. Thank you, Doc. Thank you very much. We'll wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion. Be true, be cool, and do more.